For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Here in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul the Apostle lets his readers know why he's in prison, and in doing so explains a great mystery, something not even the angels saw coming. Now let's join Pastor Ross with the message entitled, A Mystery Revealed. I've never been to prison, and I'm glad. Uh, From ministry visits there, uh, it seems to be a very dismal Place. I'm not going to lie, I, get, I just get a little queasy when I go uh, visiting into prisons. You know, those concrete hallways and the echoing of the slamming of the doors and the buzzers. And, you know, I'm happy for any ministry that happens there, of course, but I also have that feeling of I can't wait to get out of here. Uh, and uh, if, if it's an awful experience for a visit, I cannot imagine a- actually having to exist uh, there Now, Paul, the great apostle, uh, knew that awful experience. Uh, he had a prison ministry of sorts, uh, did he not? Um, uh, what's funny about that is, of course, he had that um, ministry because he was an inmate himself. His powerful preaching of the gospel message upset many people as it should upset people. It's an offensive message, really, uh, in some ways. It incited riots, and, you know, he got mistreated. He was apprehended and hauled off and thrown into prison. Now, from this first imprisonment, uh, while he's biding his time, uh, he's able to keep in touch with all of his friends, you know, and he wrote some letters, and he wrote letters to the Philippians, to the Colossians, to his buddy Philemon, and also to the Ephesians. And if Romans 8.28 ever was aptly applied there, that God causes all things to work together for good, well, here you have it. He's thrown in prison, and we have uh, four New Testament books uh, at our disposal as a result. So we happen to be studying that correspondence that he wrote 1,955 years ago because the book of Ephesians Dates at 61 AD. So we're, we're studying the letter not because it's a really cool letter, uh, which it is, but because the Holy Spirit of God breathed on Paul and through Paul. And as 1 Peter chapter, Second um, Peter chapter 1 verse 20 says that men of God carried along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God as the Spirit gave them Utterance, And so more than a letter, it's the life of God. Uh, as we know, we call it the word of God, the scriptures. And so we're studying that letter, and he's in prison. And now he brings that up. The first opening chapters were awesome, chapters 1 and 2. We've already looked at that, uh, where Paul says, how blessed is the believer, you know? And he mentions all the blessings. Really, he sums it all up by saying, by grace You have been saved by faith. It's not your own effort. It's a gift of God, all this eternal salvation, forgiveness of sins, living forever, free, just 
flat out free. And so now here in chapter three, and that's where we're at, he mentions that he's in prison. He's going to do that a couple times. Uh, that, and uh, the readers are probably wondering, well, what, what are you doing in prison, man? So in, exp- in explaining his situation of how he ended up in prison, Paul is going to explain a great mystery. It's a truth that he says has been kept under wraps from the dawn of time, a truth about me and you that not even the angels knew was coming. Let's check it out, verse 1. Let's read the whole portion like we do, and then we'll divide it up into more uh, smaller sections for understanding. So for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner, okay, of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, non-Jews, there in modern-day Turkey, Ephesus. Surely you have heard about the administration, the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly in chapter 2. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, non-Jews, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I have become a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And although I am less than least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the non-Jews, the world, the nations, the word means nations, the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. That's interesting. According to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings. Here I'm in prison for you, Gentiles, because of the message to the Gentiles, which actually is your glory. So we are going to take a look at that. It divides quite nicely. You know, so Paul's in prison suffering as he is uh, because he's preached a message uh, that not everybody appreciated. That message is really about you and me. And we make up what is called uh, the church. But as I said, those verses um, fall quite nicely into two uh, halves. Uh, the first half uh, is a great mystery revealed. Verses 1 through 6, so we're going to take a look at that first. Um, and then following that, a great commission is given, verses 7 through 13, if you're taking notes, all right? Well, let me make it a little easier. So, so the first half would be, he revealed something to me, Paul says. God showed me something. And then the next half is, and then he told me what to do with that. 
right? So he reveals something, which is kind of his MO. He reveals something to us, and then he has an expectation. And that's how our text divides quite nicely. First of all, he says, hey, I, Paul, prisoner, a prisoner of Jesus. Paul, you're a prisoner of Rome. You're a prisoner of the state. Uh, you're a prisoner because the Jews, uh, uh, the unbelieving Jewish leaders, didn't like what you were saying about Israel and Gentiles coming together as one. And so they arrested you. You're their prisoner. No, I'm not. So here's now right straight off from the top, a victorious attitude, a heavenly perspective. Oh, I'm not. Rome's prisoner, when I came under God's sovereign love and his control, I became joined to him. And actually, you know, I was free before that, but now I'm really the Lord's slave. I'm, I'm handcuffed to Jesus. And sometimes he has me in really comfortable places. And other times he's given me a ministry inside of a prison and, 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 and given, me, given me some time to write some of the New Testament books. You know, so uh, whether, whether, whether I'm in a really nice place or I'm in a hard place, I, uh, my perspective is I'm not chained to problems and this problem isn't chained to me, but I'm chained to Jesus Christ and I may be in a situation of trouble. But he who said, I'm never gonna leave you. I'll never forsake you. He's with me, right? I like that attitude. I mean, if you cop that attitude, you're going to be as victorious as he is, I think. I love this thing, Charles Swindoll. You know, you've seen it. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than the facts, more important than the past, than education, money, circumstances, failure, successes, than what other people think, say, or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, church, or a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We can't not change the inevitable. The only thing we can do, the only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that's our attitude. I'm convinced that life's 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it, and so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. And so Paul says, I'm not chained to Rome. Rome's chained to me, <laughs> okay, and Jesus. And you know what? As a result, the entire palace guard heard the gospel, and many of Caesar's household got saved on top of all the other good things that are happening. So, you know, what are you chained to this morning? Yeah, I mean, I mean, think about all your problems and all the things you wish that you can cut yourself free of and just do some attitude adjustment. So he, thank you for that. We'll go back to the text, the great mystery reveal. Now, God's doing something new, something that the Old Testament didn't tell anybody about, something that the angels were like, whoa, look at this, check this out. Uh, it's called Me and You. It's called the church with a capital C. Now, that sometimes you and I take it for granted. You know, what's so mysterious or what's the big deal about a revelation about a, uh, hearing the gospel and no matter who you are, where you are, you know, what you've done or what social status you are, race, 
color, whatever. Uh, you hear the gospel, you respond to Jesus, and bam, you walk through into a kingdom that knits you together with other born-again people who will spend eternity together and do life together here and express the life of God on the face of the earth. This was hinted at, but never really revealed in the Old Testament. It's totally new. And so the church... It's a brand new idea, an idea that was not well received by some, but a wonderful truth nonetheless. So in verse 3, you see in your text that he says, um, God's plan is to make the people one. Well, actually, he's saying the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already mentioned. Well, we studied that last week, what he already mentioned. Now he's going to elaborate right now on what he already mentioned. What did he already mention? He said... The Son of God, God the Son, died for the sins of the world. And he did that, and he gathered the people of God, all from the whole world, into one single new humanity called the church. Now, that was, that was nobody had ever heard of it. You know, they heard of nations and Israel and God's people, but they never heard in addition to that This new group of people that came from Russia and Yugoslavia and and morally inclined people and, and, and terrible derelicts all coming together as one where there are no more distinctions between, oh, you're a Russian? No, no, I'm a Christian. Uh, you used to sell drugs. No, now I'm a Christian. Oh, you're, you know, uh, you were a mayor of a city. Well, yeah, I was, but, you know, and I may still be. But bigger than that, bigger than the walls, I'm a child of God. And all the inequalities that used to separate us and divide us are gone because the only big deal outside of the cross, once you go through the cross, is Jesus our Lord. And so uh, the fulfillment of this great mystery, of course, is a scene when John sees you and me in heaven Uh, And that is what he sees. He sees real life faces when he looks around and he says, and they sang, apparently we will be singing a new song. And and here's part of the lyric. You are worthy to take the scroll and open it, open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You see, that is the fulfillment really of Jesus' high priestly prayer. God, Father, he says, I pray that they become one, those I call out of the world. So the word church is important here. It's, it, it comes from the word ekklesia in the Greek. Two words, ek, it means out from. Kaleo, the other part, means to call. So what was hidden and mysterious throughout all the ages was that God was going to start calling, produce the Jewish Messiah through Israel. And then through his death and resurrection and giving the spirit to people who would receive him, that he would call the entire world to come and join the same sort of promises that Israel has. That whosoever would, whosoever is a big word, you know, See, to pick somebody, you would think, well, no way, they can't go to heaven. They qualify. 
Because guess what? There are whosoever. A Jehovah's Witness was, uh, you know, I can spot them anywhere. We were at Mary's restaurant, and they just have the suits and the briefcases, and I just know there's a, there's a, just, yeah. And, and so, you know, I started talking to them, and, and I knew what she was asking. She goes, what church do you go to? Because they don't recognize, you know, the very fact that I go to a church means that there's a problem with my understanding of God, right? So I didn't want to play that game. So I said, oh, I go to the church of whosoever. And, and she said, so she said, I've never heard of the church of whosoever. She goes, whosoever, where is whosoever? And I'm like, whosoever believes in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life, because that is the bottom line. What? Am I in second service? What happened to you? I like this service. That's the bottom line, right? And so that was a mysterious thing in the Old Testament. And as we're going to see, uh, not even the angels. Verse 10 is going to tell us they didn't know. They didn't know. And they're learning something watching us. (laughs) So... Uh, this beautiful thing, this mystery. The first time the word church is mentioned in the Bible isn't in the Old Testament, but it's Jesus, God the Son, who says, I will build my church, the people I call out of this world, and knit them together as one to become my one people. Wow. He says, and not even death or hell is going to prevail against that church, my church. Now, you don't get to see the disciples' faces. The disciples' faces going, my church. He's building a church. What about Israel? Why we are, what are you talking about? My called out gathered ones. What is that? They didn't know. They had no concept of church because it hadn't been revealed yet. So, Formerly, how did you get saved? Well, you know, you had to hear the gospel through Israel, really, and they did preach the gospel. I I mean, they were looking forward to Messiah, you know, Uh, but you had to join the nation. You had to keep the laws and ordinances and express your faith that way, uh, looking forward to a Messiah. And then that was while God was preparing for the fullness of time, Galatians 4 and verse 4, put it that way, for Operation Save the World. So that's called the Old Testament, the old arrangement, okay? The old promise, you know? Come this way, I'm working on saving the world, but we're in the meantime, you're gonna have to come here and um, be a part of Israel. And, and But here's where the New Testament comes in. The idea of church begins. In the promise to the Jewish people through the progenitor of the Jewish race, which would be Abraham, he says, yes, Abraham, I'm going to make you into this wonderful nation called Israel, right? Uh, but through you, literally through you, your offspring, I'm going to save the world. And so we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had Judah. Judah had Perez. Perez had Hezron. And the list goes on to 42 sons until you have a baby crying in swaddling clothes in a manger, all right? And that baby is blood. 
to Abraham. And that is why he said, I am going to bless you as a nation, but through you and your offspring, Jesus Christ. Abraham is grandpa to the 42nd power, to Jesus on his human side. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He does not have a human father. It makes him more than just human. He makes him fully human and fully God, the God-man who is in his flesh related to the Jews. And so now Israel, thank you very much, has done, Judaism has done its job. It, 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 it put forth the God-man Right? And so Jesus is telling them, hey, Judaism is pretty much done. When I'm here, I mean, I fulfill everything that you are doing in the temples and all the laws and all the ordinances right here. Judaism done its job. Don't, don't be schlepping a lamb into the temple and lay, laying your hands on the lamb and confessing your sins when the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is standing right in front of you. So Judaism, he says, you know, an old wineskin, you can't do new stuff. You can't put new wine in an old, stretched out wineskin. He says, you know what, it'll, it'll burst. He was calling Judaism a thing of the past. Judaism, not so much Israel. God has future promises for her. But Judaism was done, and Judaism was really embryonic Christianity. It's what the Jews don't understand. It's that we say Judeo-Christian. Yeah, Judeo-Christian, because that's what it is. It's Judeo-Christian. That's what the gospel is. And so we get this wonderful uh, privilege. He comes to his own, his own doesn't receive him, but whoever does becomes a child of God and is knitted into this vast, unbelievable thing. But the thing about being in prison is that the message, the message of the church bugged Jewish leaders. Why did it bug them that he has to go to prison about? Well, uh, you know, when you tell a Jewish Pharisee your goodness means nothing and that you, Jewish Pharisee, have to come to Jesus the way you Jewish Pharisee, whose full-time job 24-7 is to be a good guy, you have to come to God the same way a Gentile, godless prostitute would. So they said, well, that can't be true. We don't want to hear about that. Oh, and there was more. The message of the church really said, that now we don't belong to Israel, we belong to Jesus, who Israel produced. Thank you very much, Israel. But we don't need to join to Israel. We have the fruit of Israel to join ourselves to, which was God's intention to begin with. And it doesn't stop there. Now we're not supposed to be disciples of Moses. We're supposed to be disciples of Jesus because Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, hey, there's a prophet. God's going to raise him up and he's going to be the man you have to come under and follow. So the Jews are hearing this. It's not about Moses anymore. It's not about Israel anymore. Judaism is kind of done. It's like an old discarded cloth. He called it a garment that you can't even patch. It's done. It did its job. And they said to Paul, after Paul, let me show you the map. Paul took this beautiful, wonderful mystery 
that God just is going to let anybody come all over the world. I mean, I got a, a picture of, well, I'll, I'll show you right here, this map here. So P- Paul went from Israel and took the Jewish gospel, and the mystery was revealed to him. Hey, you know, it's not just Israel and Jews and Moses. It's a new thing. It's called the New Covenant. It's the New Testament. And anybody, whosoever, if you're a drunk in Corinth, you can become a ruler in heaven one day. And you will meet those guys with crowns on their heads. And, uh, you know, you might be an idol worshiper, worshiper in Thessalonica. This is modern day Greece. This is where everywhere where Paul went, 10,000 miles in 30 years. These are his missionary journeys. Well, what happened was he ended up coming home. He's telling everybody, you're included. You're included. You're included. You're included. You're included. You're included. He gets back home and he goes, hey, I told everybody they're included. And that's where they arrested him. (laughs) And why? Because he said, I went out to all the Gentiles and told them, God loves you too. And he made a way. And it's not just Israel. And there's no more dividing all between, you know, the good guys and the bad guys. We're all bad guys. Well, come. You're welcome through Christ. And so they arrested him there and shipped him off to Caesarea. And then there's a, a, third, a fourth missionary journey that talks about going all the way uh, to Rome. And so that's what happened. That's the mystery. Here's a paraphrase of it. <clears throat> you know, he's saying... It was because of this marvelous message God's graciously given me to pass out to you, Gentiles, living in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, that anyone can come to the rivers of the water of life and freely drink. And by drinking, you wash all your sins away. Freely. Don't have to qualify. Wash all your sins away and live forever. And... After you wipe off your mouth for the first drink there, you become knit together with brothers and sisters in this invisible, universal church that's his presence on the earth. He said, that's a mystery. I reveal, I, he revealed it to me by his grace, and now I'm just telling people about it. So he goes on. Not only did he tell me about it, and we close with this. This is the last half. Now, uh, God graciously gave me something to do. Next verse. I became a servant. So he revealed something to me, and then he gave me something to do. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, of course, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least, of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden. His intent was now that through the church, his wisdom should be made known to the rulers and authorities of heaven in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes in Christ, in him, and through faith we may approach God with freedom, confidence. And he says, so cheer up, man. You know, I know I'm in here because I'm indirectly involved with you, it is, uh, but no worries, God is doing a good thing. So uh, he graciously gives something to do after there's some revelation. And so this is the way it is. When there's no change 
of behavior means there's been no true revelation. So with revelation, you're supposed to do something. So if you leave a church service and say, hey, I got it, or that was a good sermon, it's not true unless it manifests something of a change in you. So Paul said, hey, I got, a, I got it. Now I, that's going to change my life, and I'm going to become, listen, a servant of the gospel. He's saying, what's more important than the message that there's a hell and we can be spared that? And I have that information. And it's really not hard to get somebody out of a destiny of ending up in a Christless eternity. So for Paul, it's like, hey, I got it. There's a hell and Jesus died to spare people from it. Therefore, is there anything more important than serving that message? Now, whatever the form of your life takes, the, the, the impetus for your life is really, wow, God wants us to shine this message uh, forward. And so, I mean, if you realize the bridge is out, you know, you're supposed to do a U-turn, right? And then let the fellow travelers on that same road know that the bridge is out. And that's what, that's what he's saying here. So he goes on to say, um, I found out that God has a plan to save the world, so I became a servant of that uh, plan because nothing's more important uh, to him. I like what he said. Listen, he said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. He said, if only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus Christ gave me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That's what I see in these uh, verses. Now, there's just nothing more important. That's what he's trying to say. And he says, I don't consider my life important. What's my life? My life is important only because of what God's given me to do. And if there's a God, what else matters? Think about that. If there's a God, does anything else matter? Well, yeah, I know what you're thinking. Yes, a lot of things matter, but really not in the light of the priority and preeminence of serving God, knowing his will. And part of knowing his will is to share the light. So we're going to learn a lot about Paul right here in this. Um, and, and they're working on that, you know. <laughs> but you might have to go back to the old days of looking at your Bible. Uh-oh. <laughs> and so as they, they work on that, try to hold your, your thinking here. You're going to learn a lot in this text about Paul. And through what Paul's called to do, we learn a lot about God. So first, let's look at Paul. Well, so first of all, we see his gratitude. Uh, here's what he says. He says, it's by God's grace. It was a gift of God, your text reads, God's grace that brought this revelation, and it's a gift of God. He says that both, in both sections. The revelation comes through the grace of God, so it's not like I was so smart and I came up with this gospel, right? He's saying, of course, I got a revelation by God's grace. And why me? I'll never know. But then he asked me to do something, and of course, it's by God's grace. And he knows he's done a lot of things, but he, he's just quick to, to show his gratitude and give the glory to God. And he says, it's God's power, God's blessing, God's grace. And then he says, even though, so now we see Paul's gratitude, and now we see in verse 8, Paul's humility. He says, he doesn't say, you know, I consider myself the least of all Christians. He doesn't say that. 
He says, I consider myself less than the least of all of God's people. There's a reason for that. He doesn't finish the sentence here, but he does in other places. So we know why he has this, and I'm going to call it a healthy self-assessment of who he is apart from God and apart from God's grace and what we all are, no matter the great accomplishments we do in the flesh or in the spirit. Who are we without his grace? And that's what kind of grounds him to get him to say, I just, you know, it's a safe place for me to consider myself at the bottom. And it works for me, he's saying. And not only does it work for him, he feels it's true. He's not pretending. He's not being a hypocrite. He's not like self-loathing Eeyore spirit of, you know, you know, I'm the worst one that ever lived, you know. This isn't what he's doing. Here's what he's saying. He told Timothy, he finishes the sentence with Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, Timothy, you know, I don't deserve to be an apostle because I formally blasphemed and insulted Jesus Christ and persecuted God's dear people. Yes, he's forgiven. He pretty much knows a lot about forgiveness. He knows he's forgiven. He's secure in his calling, and he's has an assurance of God's love. But he never forgets that without God's gracious intervention, he's a big zero. Worse than a big zero, he's headed to God's judgment for all of those sins. So he just thinks, wow, yeah, he knows. He knows he's writing scripture. He tells the Thessalonians, he tells them, hey, hey, if anybody rejects this instruction, you're not, in, you're not rejecting man. You're rejecting God. He knows what's happening. He knows he's an apostle. He says, I'm an apostle called by God. He, he doesn't, he's not insecure. He, he's just saying, I know how to balance all the beautiful things God is doing through me with who I really am without him. And that's perhaps part of the reason God is able to do a lot of stuff with him. Because he's not running around thinking, whoa, you know, you know, you got a problem with me, Barnabas? Hello, 13 New Testament books (laughs) right here. How many New Testament books have you written? You know, he doesn't do that. And to help him not do that, God says, you know what, bro, I got a messenger from the devil to help you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, a messenger from hell to hang out with you. It's a little, it's going to be a little owie. You're going to ask me, please take it away, please take it away, please take it away. And I'm going to say, you know what? A guy who gets visions, who comes up to heaven and sees things nobody else sees and writes 14 New Testament books, you need a little helper friend. And that will keep you It will keep you remembering, oh, you know, you're not the high and mighty Apostle Paul with the vision, you know, that God gave me and me alone. Oh, sorry. (laughs) That's not going to happen. So he calls himself little. Well, guess what? There's a play on words there. His name, Paulus, in Latin is where he's getting this from. He changed his name. And what did he pick? He didn't pick 
Greg because Greg is warrior or, uh, you know, beloved of God, David, or, or Rex, king, over there, where is he? He picks little, Paulus, little. So here's what he may be saying. I am little, little by name, little by stature, and morally and spiritually littler, little, and the littlest of Christians. He's the dude who said, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. I mean, all God has to do is, is use me just a tiny little bit somewhere. Like I go, oh, wow, that was cool, right? And then I'm impossible to live with for three days. <laughs> Ask my wife. I mean, seriously, what is it with us? You know, God does anything. You know, something comes through or you step back from what you just remodeled. And you're like, who could remodel like me, <laughs> you know? Uh, or whatever it is you do. The second we do it and we stand back and start getting all happy about it, you know, you can get happy about it, but just say, thank you, Jesus, for giving me that kind of ability because unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless God had a touch. He's got to have a touch on whatever it is you're doing. And, and when there's a bing, wow, that's because God did that. Amen. So he just says, look, I'm, I'm not a big deal. And he says, it would be very good for you to think of others better than yourselves. That's what he says. Okay. And so, you know, he wraps up by telling us what God has asked him to do. But what do I take from it? I wrote down four things that I can now know about God. Right. So the first thing he says is, is that, number one, God wants us to, be, to bless the nations beyond description. So here's what he says. I've been asked to preach to the Gentiles, that's the world, the nations, the unsearchable riches of Christ. The word unsearchable is self-explanatory. You keep digging, and you think you found something, but there's more to find always. And I think that's what eternity is for, because we're going to be digging and keep finding uh, the beauty of the Lord. So... What I take from that task that God wants the world to enjoy the riches in his son is that God wants to, he's a blesser and he wants everybody through exper experiential knowledge to come to Jesus to be unspeakably blessed. So the riches of knowledge, uh, Colossians chapter two, verse three. Christ himself in him, are hidden tre the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, you know, we search a lot for treasures, all kinds in our lives, but are we, he's trying to say, if you would redirect your search to Christ in him, you will find all the treasures that you possibly could need. You'll know how the world got here. Treasures of knowledge, what does that mean? Riches of knowledge, who God is, who we are, <laughs> how we got in this mess, you know, uh, his nature, his attributes, God's love. Um, what is my purpose here? Why do we all exist? What happens when you die? How to please God? What's wise? What's foolish? All of this. What, is there a price you can put on that kind of knowledge? Where do you find that knowledge? One place, Jesus, in Christ. Uh, uh, spiritual treasures, salvation, <laughs> eternal life, being filled with God's spirit, with power to overcome your sin. Wow. Riches for our soul. A clean conscience. 
How much would you pony up for a clean conscience, peace of mind, wholeness? Jesus saying, you'll never be hungry or thirsty, John chapter 6. You'll never walk in darkness, John chapter 8. You'll never be alone, Hebrews chapter 13. It's beautiful. Unsearchable riches of Christ. He wants the world to know those things. And then, then uh, he says, uh, to make the gospel plain to everyone. So that's his second task. He's saying, my task is to take that revelation God gave me of the gospel and make it plain to who? Everyone. Just make it plain. It's very interesting. Very powerful. He's saying, this tells me about God. God wants everybody to get it, including little kids. So he's made a gospel that is intellectually accessible. It's plain and simple. There are some hard things to understand about the gospel, uh, about the Bible in, as a whole. Of course, we're dealing with God. However, the fundamentals of the Bible, they're very clear, they're very plain, and they're stated that way, and he wants them communicated plainly. That's important to him. The Mormons, I, I like Mormons a lot. Uh, they have neat family values and all of that, but unfortunately, they, do, they differ from the gospel in many, many ways. One of the things they do is they have 100 temples all over the world, and only certain people can go in. You have to qualify to go in for this more uh, this greater knowledge is yours if you qualify. This is so not the point of this passage. Is that God reveals to disclose to all in a simple way so that they can plainly understand your text. Paul said, God has told me, when you take this mystery out, you better make it plain. You better put it on the lower shelf where the little kids can reach it. All right? I don't want you going in with big words and, you know, you're talking so fast. There's a preacher in the Philippines. I was a missionary there. And he was a Pentecostal preacher. I hate to pick on anybody, but okay. He was getting all excited, and I followed him, right? And um, a Filipino woman, the pastor's wife, came up to me, and he said, uh, she said, yeah, brother so-and-so is very anointed, but we wish that he weren't so anointed. <laughs> and, and I said, what does that mean? And she said, well, when he got excited and anointed, right, he'd, his speech would speed up so fast. We all speak English, but nobody could understand him. right? So we wanted him to not have the anointing so that we could get something out of the message. Why? This is right in line. Right in line with Paul and your and my command of God. Do not obscure the message. Make it plain. Now, there's a new deception out. All right? It, it's, it's, it can be classified the emergent church, but it's even growing bigger than that. And, and what it's saying is that, the, that this new modern, postmodern church is emerging out of the old structure of Christianity, right? The problem with that is that they're changing the gospel. Now, Christianity in its outer ways of expressing itself can change and should change. And here's the thing they do. They want a dialogue. Now, whenever you hear that word, listen, what do you want a dialogue? Do you want a dialogue about being more holy? How can I 
pray fervently and more consistently. What about church is, is not biblical? Those are things. Or how can we do better at reaching the lost with the gospel? But the dialogue isn't about that. The dialogue is, did God really say? What, is this, what does this really mean? It's very popular. And, and it's perfect for your text. He says, that I should make plain to everyone. Not come in, listen to this, and use my gifts as a speaker and my Bible knowledge to, to put doubts and division in your mind about what you're reading, about sexual immorality, about gender, about is there a hell? You know, my teachers taught me, I went to seminary nine years. This is what I heard. This is the number one rule. Read the text for its plain and obvious meaning first. Don't change it. Unless there's contextual reasons or something else that we need to, but always, first and foremost, he who has the son has life. He who doesn't have the son shall not see life for the wrath of God abides on him. I am sworn by Paul and the Holy Spirit and the gospel to take that as its plain, simple meaning, not to change it because I don't like the way it makes me feel and not because the world is putting so much pressure on me and telling me I'm antiquated and archaic and narrow-minded and bigoted. Those scriptures that they want to question are the heartbeat of what makes the gospel the gospel. And so you have to hold on to that gospel as unpopular and narrow as it is because Jesus said narrow is the way that leads to life. Few there be that find it and broad is the way. So we don't change anything. We make it plain. Can't imagine standing before God and saying, you trip people up. You've got all fear of man and you want to be popular and and get a message that fits in where Oprah and everybody else will just applaud you and have you on and just say, look at this, finally, somebody who has combined God and the Bible in a way that we all can enjoy. And God just goes, (laughs) because it's not the gospel. Make it plain, make it plain. I think I've gone too long on this. I did want to talk about (laughs) I did want to talk about the angels. He says, thirdly, God wants the whole universe to learn a beautiful lesson. So here's what he's talking about there. He says, listen to this. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Well, that's only one class of people, people. That's the good angels and the bad angels. And the bad angels, a third of the good angels fell with Lucifer, the head angel. And they continue in rebellion to this day. Something about the church teaches, he says, the manifold wisdom of God. They're seeing what's happening in the church. The angels long to look into those things. They're with us in worship, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, They minister to us according to our needs. We don't really know how that goes, but they watch over us, and they're working, and they're involved, and apparently they don't have foreknowledge. Mm -hmm. They didn't see it coming. 
So they're working with the Apostle Paul, right? And they're like, whoa, yeah, you know, watch out. Watch this guy. Trip and put your foot out. You know, they're doing things with Paul the Apostle. They don't know that in God's wisdom, until one day on the road there to Damascus, boom, the Lord Jesus shows up and changes this man from Saul, the Christian killer, to Paul the best Christian and the most productive Christian missionary the world has ever known. And the angels, what is the lesson? Therefore, the angels, the angels go, whoa, whoa. You know, can you imagine the, the looks on their faces? They're like, whoa, we were just like, whoa, Paul, just stop and move. Whoa. You know, now, whoa, help him. Start him. Whoa, turn him this way. <laughs> you know, hey, bro, you know, and they're high-fiving each other. Okay, there's so much that the church teaches the invisible angelic host that are watching in awe of what God is doing, taking drunks and prostitutes and adulterers and liars and self-centered cheaters and making them part of his own body to reign and rule with him forever. They're like the angels. Who's the holy priesthood, the royal nation, the kingdom of priests and kings and royalty? Former sinners, evildoers. And the angels are like, wow, <laughs> that's awesome. How about the devil? He's an angel. What is he learning from watching the church? Here's his lesson. Your days are numbered. You're going to lose just like the Lord told you that the conqueror would come and crush your head and the day of your demise is soon. Every soul that gets saved and added to the church that the angels have to watch, the devil has to watch, this thing is unstoppable. And what is the message there? The message is you're a dead man. That's the message that is being sent to the demons you know, when I, one of the demons that was bargaining with Jesus says to Jesus, you're not going to torment us before the time. Every soul that gets saved, as the church just expands, as ISIS is cutting our heads off and drowning us and burning and crucifying our children, and the church is growing and growing and growing, what is that saying to the devil? It's saying death and hell will not prevail. And the time of your torment is coming. That's the lesson, the beautiful, wise lesson that the church is teaching the demons. And so at the end there, he just says, you know, after all of that, he says, don't feel bad for me. I know it's because I came to you guys and said, hey, Ephesians, come on in. The water's fine. You know, and they locked me up. <laughs> Uh, so he says, don't, don't feel bad about that. That's part of the plan. I'm locked up to Jesus. I'm doing just fine. I'm writing scriptures. This is a good thing. So rather rejoice that it's your honor. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a wonderful chapter just to reflect on the mystery of who we are. <laughs> The whosoevers, the nobodies, the sinners who are now joint heirs with Christ, knitted together in one body, the church. Wow. God, thank you for finding us. Help us take what we heard and hold on to it and recall it as you lead us, Lord. In Jesus' name.
Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.